All right. Welcome to Mo Faith. We're starting a, poca- a podcast. I was going to say a podcast. <laughs> I mean, some days. <laughs> we really on a podcast. We, you on a, welcome to our podcast of poor ass people, um, uh, people who are trying to make it in this world. But yeah, I, I, you know, I just think it's great to get started and just be like, hey, what's going on? So um, I'm Faith, also known as Faith Cheltenham, also known as X, Faith Atwater Cheltenham, The Faith. People have known me as names. And what about you, Mo? Uh, I'm Mo, Monique, Monique Finley. Um, some people call me Finley, but I was in the Navy, so that might just be a hold back. Yeah, yeah, that was on your on your on your chest right like oh yeah oh yeah um i still call me finley sometimes i even came out with a poetry book the finley human experience oh nice 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 i was thinking about could i join the military at the age of 42 recently and was probably like probably not probably not um 37 (laughs) is the cutoff is it is it I think it's still, it's in the thirties, but I could be wrong. It, I'm not recruiting anybody. So it doesn't matter what I think it is. <laughs> I know. I was just wondering, I was like, I wonder if like you can go and, and, and be like, Hey, I'm ready to fight now. And, and they're like, no, or are they <laughs> mandated to take everybody? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> their numbers are kind of low right now. They might be thinking. They might be like, people, we're, we're open. You know, here's the thing. We're living to 100. Maybe they need to raise the age. This is true. I mean, you got to wonder. It's always been a thing of, like, how many people that are in the military are super young, right? And, like, like 19, 18 years old and doing 20 years and then getting out. And, like, how many people over the age of 40 are potentially twice as intelligent, twice as experienced, twice as aware, Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe that'd be counterproductive for the military to have people who have ideas. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> people have thoughts. <laughs> I can say for sure that my time in service did not react well to my thoughts. Or maybe my thoughts didn't react well to my time in service. Right. It could go either way. It could, it could go either way. It could go either way as far as uh, that commitment um, okay, so and we started this podcast after talking and reconnecting, um, and you know we went to high school together in 1997, 1998, and we went to high school yeah. at San Luis Obispo High, which is in its own little magical woodland creature place. <laughs> so um, it's it's the valley. <laughs> it's actually been named by some strange person the California's happiest town. Have they been to some of the other towns? I know. I wondered. I was like, have you met any of the children? Have you, you've just, you've missed all the sadness. <laughs> and it's like this weirdest thing, right? Like this, you know, um, somebody that, you know, we went to high school with, his brother made this book, 13 Reasons Why, right? About yeah. suicide, about teenage difficulty, about really difficult childhood lives. And it's from San Luis Obispo, but almost no one in San Luis Obispo knows that this book is about San Luis Obispo. <laughs> like i'm telling you it's weird like none of the slow bookstores carry it or do anything special about it there's like no linkage between salus bispo and like the true stories of kids who grew up there and what their experiences were like 
<laughs> so, so it's like some sort of Stepford story, like on the one hand, the happy, the happy story, but then the real stuff. Oh man. Well, listen, it doesn't matter what, what the book. I think it's very, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting, especially because they had the Kristen Smart um, trial recently. And there was a podcast that was created called, um, I think it was in our backyard. Um, And, you know, in my backyard, it was like a, a guy who's like came to San Luis Obispo, found out about the story about Kristen Smart, wanted to see somebody talking about her, wanted to see somebody talking about the case, and and actually was able to build a groundswell of information that led to the arrest of Paul Flores and his father uh, for her murder and, you know, disappearance. Um, But it was like this very interesting thing while that trial was happening, everybody in slow that I'm talking to is very like, you know, we don't want to talk about it, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like, just like let's just get it over with you know like we've been having that conversation about this you know this poor girl for for 20 plus years and it's so i thought it was so representative of slow which is very like fairly uncaring about women and you know anybody who's a vulnerable person (laughs) (laughs) but Um, man oh and i don't know if you heard about what that guy ended up getting arrested for no, the last thing I actually looked at with that was they were, the police had decided they were going to go back to the dad's land and they were relooking. Um, that was the last I'd actually paid any attention. Well, and I think some people yeah. from, from Slow missed it too because he ended up getting arrested down here, the Paul Flores guy who had been yeah. under suspicion in Slow. He ended up getting arrested down here, and he's been charged with, I think, over 50 assaults. Um, and he ended up taping his assaults and having those tapes be found in his house. So this guy is going to jail for the rest of his life no matter what. Wow. And and it's really kind what of upsetting to know that, like, you know, we had this guy in our town. People thought he did it. People tried to get him arrested back in the day. He didn't get arrested. He was able to move to L.A. and then conduct numerous assaults on women in, in the Los Angeles area for looks like a decade before they caught him. I mean, how many people have to report something before it's Well, the weird thing was he was like drugging girls. Yeah. He drugged them and then taped them and they didn't even know that they were assaulted basically because he had drugged them, they're unconscious, he's assaulting them while they're unconscious. I think they call it um, sleeping beauty syndrome, guys who are into that of Wanting to have an unconscious body or whatever. Yeah, it's just really like sad to me because I really wanted to catch him. Like I tried to, I tried to get the the police and the sheriffs on him when I was in high school because I had heard that he was, I heard he was the guy from other people who were at a party that they were at. Yeah, yeah. And and the people I knew at Slow High were like, we're not going to talk to the police. Fuck it, you know. And I'm like, no, dude, we've got to tell the police. We've got to. And so, like, I actually did an interview with the sheriff where I, like, disclosed that I had heard this from these people and, you know, tried yeah. to be, like, and because I think there was also, you know, a concern because Paul Flores was, you know, a Latino person. Um, yeah. And so I kind of was reading that in the room of, hey, this is a person who has, you know, has ancestry that's not white descent. And this is a blonde girl. And. You know, is it really fair and that type of stuff? And I felt really strongly as a black person that it doesn't matter what color you are. You know, if you take somebody out, like we need to. 
<laughs> Especially, my thought was just exactly basically what happened, oh, which is if he's doing this in high school, college, as a young college student, what's he going to grow up to be? You know? Right. Right. And, you know, who knows if anybody from the slow area had something that they know he ended up in his, you know, in his group of, of, of conquest or whatever. But it's one of those things of, you know, we taking that steps, I think, in, in 1997, 98, you remember, there was no interest in sexual violence Hell prevention no. or no. Oh, no, no. supporting uh -uh. girls and women mm -mm. with no, supporting no. their anything. There's a lot of victim blaming, victim shaming, uh, but not much supporting. No, no. I remember with I remember with Kristen Smart, especially where the whole town was like she just ran away, like you can't prove anything happened. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, just this very strong belief that not in our town, like this would never happen here. Oh yeah. And yet it was not just happening, it was pervasive. Uh, mm -hmm. like I mean what five years earlier, ninety two the last time I had lived in Slope before that, I'd, I'd been in a group home and like every kid there had been suffering some kind of, like then you go to school and teacher's like, you're not doing enough of your homework. And it's like, bro, when you go home, homework don't matter. Life is what matters. <laughs> and yeah, that's Slope County, that's not, that's not overseas. That's not some other world. That's right here at home. Yeah, it seems as I do know that by 2000 something, 2001, 2002, there had been an overhaul of San Luis Obispo Child Protection Services because there had been a lawsuit and some investigations that found that San Luis Obispo Child Protective Services supposedly was the worst CPS in the state. That it had the lowest rate of convictions, lowest rate of support, the highest rate of difficulty. Um, and then I know as well that I've looked for my old records and come to find out that they had some sort of big fire. I say that with quote right. marks because it's really like, really? That mm. they, they basically say that all the records before 2003 are gone. Right. And they, they have very... Yeah, yeah. Nope. Yeah, I couldn't find mine in slow. Same reason. Mysterious fire. Uh, and the records I would have had in Nevada from when I ran away from the group home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those all were destroyed by their law in like the early 2000s, 20, 2001, mm. 2002. Like they only kept them for so many years. So like I actually can't recreate those records. Yeah. Like. I, it's very interesting because, like, you have this it, um, kind of awareness of record keeping, how important it is for children and, and minors when it comes to adoption, when it comes to medical, when it comes to healthcare. But something that has such a huge impact on mental health and physical health is uh -huh. uh, trauma and abuse. Mm -hmm. And we don't and like we keeping don't... those records. Right. We're not keeping those records. Right. And I think that's a, you know, it was really disappointing the conversations that I had with the, the slow CPS team. Um, just as far as like, what do you mean you don't have any records? What do you mean that other people are also upset that there's no records? Like, oh, you're really mm -hmm. sorry about this, but what does it really matter? It was very much like right. this is uh -huh. like a, a systemic issue that now is being covered up and 
it doesn't matter who you are, who you became when you were, you know, you've left San Francisco and now you come back. It's still going to be the same old town that's going to do whatever it wants to do the way it wants to do it, you know? Yeah. I've heard from people, there's some, like, movement there that, like, you know, they have, like, a Black Lives Matter chapter or something that started, and they have people who's protesting stuff and trying to create change, and, you know, the woke nation is there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's what I've been told. But I love slow, too. That, it holds this... Oh, man. I'm it's... sorry. It, slow just it holds this special place in my heart. It's been over 20 years, let me think. Is this this 25 years this year will be 25 years since I've been in slow like living. When's the last time you went back to see it? I visited uh, my cousin was getting married in 2014, I think, and visited some some friends from high school then. And maybe 20 It's really changed in the last like three years it got crazy like they somebody on the city council sold off the town or something but because the, 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 i'm telling you it's weird it, it went from like we don't have drive-throughs and let's not ever build anything here to now we've got huge buildings we're putting up buildings on every street there's not like if any part of slow wasn't developed it's now getting developed all the way out to like i don't know if you remember like johnson the same street that the high school was on oh. If you kept riding out that way, just kept on Johnson, it would basically take you to like AG via Price Canyon. Uh-huh, and now uh-huh. that whole that whole area is its own town. What? Really? Yeah, it's like its own town. It's like a little tiny town where like we're separate from Sloan. I'm like, you're just off of Johnson. What are you talking about? Well, <laughs> <laughs> <Tell> the suburbs. <laughs> I know. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're around the corner, right? We could walk to you. How are you in other town, right? Because usually other towns from Slow are like 15 miles away, 20 miles away. You have to drive to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta yeah, go they have the this, They're like, we're we're creating our own little section here. We want this to be separate from Slow, and you know, it's very, it's just really, really built up. We're like, you know, not like, like big box stores. There's not like a ton of Best Buys or WalMarts. Oh, but a lot of the stores that were there when I was in high school are not, right? Like I just saw that Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory closed down in oh, downtown. Yeah, yeah and that was such sad. a yeah that giant bear, <laughs> you know, and and the whole candy making machine things that were there that you were in the window that everybody went to go visit that it was like a huge part of the town. They had a, a ice cream store called Doc Bernstein's like, that's also been closed. And everybody used to visit that, you know. So I went to the comic book store and found that the comic book store and the music store had combined in, and then moved to a new location. They're like, yeah, we actually put these two together because we were really struggling to keep open, you know, these these record stores and these type of things. Like the sub, I, you, I don't know if you remember the sub, kind of weird source in San Francisco, this whole kind of psychedelics and, um, you know, T-shirts and stuff from television shows it got burned down so a lot of the yeah and just i don't know they said it was just burned down it didn't look like anything maybe i don't know happened but old wiring or something so they just if you go back it's it's almost like a different city um it it looks Uh it looks very different from quiet Uh mission san luis obispo type of space and it's become this very almost like a satellite of los angeles 
Wow. Yeah, a I lot, mean, lot of people there. It always wanted to be, though. Like, that was, I mean, I remember going to, like, the Madonna Inn, and all you heard while you were there were stories about the Hollywood people coming down. Like, it was always mm. kind of like a satellite in that way. Like, yeah, especially for Madonna Inn. Yeah. That's, like, the number one famous landmark. I don't, I don't think there's any other, the only other one that's in nearby us that has the same type of visitors is probably Hearst Castle. Mm-hmm. You know, most is people really. Is it What's still that? pink? Is it still oh, pink? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, it is. It's, yeah. It has, it, oh. it, 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 wherever it was the last time you saw it, it's just grown in Madonna in this. <laughs> oh, oh, gilded, but like it, it's too much it, pink it's, on the walls. It's it's like an explosion of gouche is how I think of it. <laughs> but man, their cake is so good. Mm, like the mm-hmm, pink champagne mm-hmm. cake with the curls on top thing. Oh my gosh, that's like adding pounds on me just thinking about it. But um, I, yeah, it's, it's I don't know it's how weird. it is now, but the steak back in the day was mm, mm, mm. no, yeah, it's good. I went I went back. A little bit ago, and had had a meal there, and it, everything was just really, really tasty. And I really hadn't been there a whole bunch in, during when I was there in high school or junior high or elementary. I really actually only went to the Madonna Inn after I left San Luis Obispo. Kind of funny enough. And then when I came back, people are like, "Let's meet at the Madonna Inn." I'm like, "Really?" But I don't drink. Uh, so uh-huh. it's kind of impossible to go because almost everybody who's goes back to slow is like, oh, let's meet at, you know, whatever brewing place there is. Oh, yeah. Because we live in a craft brew world. Yeah. And San Luis has like, what, 60 bars for like is it really? 100,000 people or something. It's like, it's <laughs> or less. It's like 75,000 people and 75 bars. <laughs> so many bars it's so small bar capita. Bars. no i mean it, it probably has less but it's it's really like if you go down the downtown strip it's still very much like from one end of farmer's market all the way to the other end it's all bars and restaurants i can't even say anything i live in louisiana right now we have drive-through daiquiri stores like Ooh, that's exciting yeah, yeah like and the law here is that you can't drink it while you're driving, right? So they, they tape the lid shut. Nice. So you you can drive with a full container. As long as you haven't taken any out of it, you can go home with your daiquiri and not be in trouble for driving with an open container. Which yeah. is super Smart. nice. Completely random and weird that like... Next door in Texas is a bunch of uh, dry counties, and next door in Arkansas is a bunch of dry areas. And then here, it's like, brah, there's a daiquiri store. Let's just pull in. No, it's so it's super. Like <laughs> I feel like Louisiana is like you know, they think of themselves as the free state, you know, of the South. Yeah. That that's kind of the last time I was out there was for a conference in New Orleans. And um, it got crazy. It was one of those funny times where there was there was a whole bunch of well-meaning white people, which mm-hmm. in New Orleans is really funny to watch. Um, and and they were like, "We're we're gonna protest the police." 
And then the police said they were coming and getting really upset. And then they were attacking the black people, even though it was white people who were protesting the police. And I just really it's got annoyed. With it. Yeah, no, I really got annoyed with it. So I like kind of made up a little, a little scenario uh, for the white people. And I, I, I ran up to them like breathless, like, oh, my God, did you guys hear? And they're like, what? And I was like, the black people are going to protest you for protesting the police. And they're like, no. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like, go tell people black people are mad at them. <laughs> you heard it here first. Reverse psychology. They, they ran off to tell the white people that the black people were mad at them. Oh. And the end result was that nobody protested anybody. And that was that. Um, but because everybody was so confused as to who was protesting who on whose behalf. Mm-mm. And I was with this one guy who saw it all happening. He's like, I don't remember us talking about anybody like that. And I was like, no, that was totally all made up just now. Um, <laughs> he was like, on the fly, you just create a whole new narrative and story. And I was like, I get annoyed it's by somebody... white people like that. I, I do. If you're going to cause me problems, white people and who are here at this conference are now going to be targeted <laughs> because you're ass. Like, I might just eliminate you if possible because I wanted to have a good time. <laughs> Sometimes I need a break. <laughs> I mean, it's one of these things. I, any black person want to protest and have something to say, I'm here for it. And that was the thing that was upsetting for me was that they had had a person who had died who was a black person. And these white people were kind of taking it upon themselves to be like, we want to draw attention to it. Meanwhile, the black person's family had said very explicitly, we really do not want to see a whole bunch of protests. We want to see celebrations of this person's life. This is Uh what we want. So it was really like kind of one of those things where people aren't listening to the family and what they want and how they want to remember their loved one. Um, That's a problem. And and that that to me was very like, I don't want to be part of that. Like, I'm not... Uh You know, there's some people who are like, let's burn it down because my, my loved one is dead. But a lot of black folks who miss, who have a family who is dead at the uh, police hands, I really want to remember that person not as they died. Right, right. Which is like their last tragic moment, but more, let's remember all of the wonderful fucking things they were doing before that tragedy. Yeah, and yeah. also helps us see like the value of that person's life, which, by the way, will help the family when they sue the police. FYI, uh-huh. so uh-huh. like it's actually beneficial to everybody if you wanted to, you know, make change as far as police reform or others, to really focus on the positives of that person's life and understand that this was an engagement that was not intended to go the way it went. And what does this mean as far as we need to change police trainings? We need to do these type of things. That's type of the, that's where I get very interested. Oh yeah. And definitely supporting the folks who are engaged as police versus thinking of them as a force that if you eliminate them, everything all of a sudden will be perfect, right? Yeah, um, no. I, I think we're seeing the outcomes of what that looks like in other cities. You know, just now I don't know if you saw that the black lesbian in Chicago did not get reelected. Lori Lightfoot. Oh. oh, she didn't. She didn't. She lost. She was number three and yes. in the candidates. And, it was, and basically was spanked, is what we would say. <laughs> um, she got she got spanked and ended up with two other candidates who are now going to be placed in a runoff because neither one of them got enough votes to outright to become the next mayor of Chicago. Oh. 
And one of them is a police reform person, and one of them is a police person, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, police, benevolent, fun type, like, has mm-hmm. engagement with police, is supportive of police, has a relationship with police, and then another person who's more of a reformer. So it'll be interesting to see, but both of them were less, my understanding is that both of them were less, much less radical in their policies than Lori Lightfoot was. Oh, uh-huh. Um, and I, and I, I think that, you know, I already saw Eric Adams in New York come out and, and say it was a warning for America that people are really interested in safety mm, uh, mm. and that if they, that's what they want to hear right now. And if you're not talking about, here's what I've done to create more safety for you in the city, you're going to potentially, you know, lose your role because that's, that's a huge issue for a lot of people in America right now is, okay. is violence and safety and um housing and homeless issues see and that's so while while i was at school in slow uh, i went on a police ride along um (laughs) (laughs) i almost got locked up in the mental hospital with this police ride along oh shit that's funny uh i went in with the we're like the only school that that's mandated in by the way like oh, really? a lot of people do not, I went and all, met all these other people, no one else has their high school force all their students to do a ride along. Oh, really? Like that, yeah, no, it's weird. I, I, can't, I That's a, a sign of San Luis Obispo, just so you like, understand, like no I, other city ever is having its seniors go on ride alongs as part of its graduation requirement. <laughs> you know what's weird is I never even thought that was weird until like, now you say no other cities are doing that. That is kind of weird actually. Have you ever heard of every any other high schooler ever doing it? No, nobody I talk to is like, oh yeah, I remember my police ride along. Nope, nope. And 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 think about it. Putting putting a high schooler, high schooler, below the age of eighteen, right? Possibly eighteen, in a police car and taking them on calls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, oh, I mean I it's, it's some... out of their minds. They're I out of their minds. I saw some shit. And at that mental hospital, and this is actually where I was going with it, one of the things, talking about training, I'm all about some police reform when it comes to training. Like, I think one of the things that we don't give credit to is that we have moved away from involuntarily locking people in mental hospitals, which means there's a lot more crazy people, and I say that being one of them, running around outside of mental hospitals. So that means that the police actually need mental health training because their first weapon is actually understanding. Well, even even if they understand, they have all these limitations placed on them by policy that prevent them from engaging with a mental health okay. uh, a person who needs mental health. And I think it's basically a resource thing. And I saw okay. it in San Francisco where I would go, you know, I kind of would see something happen. And so I'd run over there like, there's a black man surrounded by police. Why? Well, it's fate to the rescue, you know? So I'd right. run over and that person would be super sick, like, not wearing their clothes, like definitely having a mental health crisis Mm. and the police and fire are there. There's like maybe 10 guys and none of them can do anything. And they say, this is the law of San Francisco, right? That you're allowed to have autonomy around your mental health, that if you believe these things are true, we can't tell you they're not. So I think that that's a big part is like the pendulum swung really far over, right? Into this place of it's really important that we're not doing forced lobotomies. Right. Right. It's really important that we're not tying people down to beds anymore and that type of stuff. And I get that. That's what I want too, right? 
but as we a don't person who would be signed up yeah i i prefer not to right but it, i want people to have some autonomy but the idea of us saying that there's no structures on people's mental health that if you have a really poor mental health and you are living on the streets and are psychotic that you can't be forcibly put back into a hospital and treated until you're better I, I definitely agree with some of the new laws that are coming out here in California that allow for families to, to help people get placed in, in facilities um, based off the inability for them to care for themselves. Uh-huh. And you say, okay, they, there's a danger, right? And right. now in, in California, they're going to be able to get help and, and forcible hospitalization and forcible treatment. But the hard part is maintaining that forcible treatment. How but how do you do it? You know, we haven't yeah. we haven't really solved mental illness, basically. No, no. So I think that to me is kind of like, why aren't, why don't we have a whole bunch of people working on that? You know, I think instead we kind of built up a, a huge system of psychiatry and psychological meds and all these type of things. But as far as the actual efficacy. Well, right. I mean, we. So there's a there's a multiple level problem I see here. Um, and the first level is we spend so much time teaching kids a certain set of things to get them through testing that we're not teaching them what they actually need to live. So yeah. like, like home ec isn't showing up on these tests. So we're not teaching kids how to cook and clean for themselves. Right. Like that was at one point being taught in some schools. There may still be some schools out there teaching it, but it's not your standard curriculum. Not anymore. No. Um, and one of the, the things we had done that was a disservice for our parents' generation was forcing just the girls to do the home ec, and then we get rid of it. Like, home ec and auto shop should be kind of taken by everybody, because if you're going to own a car and you're going to do your own grocery shopping in that car, you yeah, probably yeah. need to know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I do think that that, that was something that if you're in an older school type of system – that, that those type of things are really still part of middle schools mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, that kids have those things. There was also kind of a personal hygiene and and that type of class that mm-hmm. that happened in middle school a little bit around, you know, included sex education, included the basics of taking care of yourself and, you know, what's what you're going to be expected, you know, that type of shit. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think these days that those that there's a lot of the focus is is hey, math, science, you know possibly you know new diversity initiatives that type of stuff but there's really no like life skill type thing that's happening um god knows i've seen it with the college students that i've met no 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 ability don't know how to wash your clothes don't know how to cook a piece of chicken you know i'm I'm just kind of aghast at times it was funny when the pandemic happened everybody was like i'm learning to bake bread and i was like you're learning to break bread now you didn't know how to bake bread before? Like you had oh, no, you never baked anything before? What the hell? I'm looking at myself like, wow, damn. I was baking <laughs> cakes and bread when I was a kid. Like, right? I, can, I, I, I still bake. I bake, a, you know, I, my son some cookies almost every week. You were talking about being dirt poor at one point. You remember, <laughs> this is funny. You, you know how closely aligned being poor and organic food are <laughs> like oh yeah like i grew it myself uh i bought it fresh oh well 
can't get fresher than your own garden. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I think it really is one of those things where a lot of times the distance between people, you know, it's, it's become such an interesting thing with TikTok and all these places because I basically, I basically call it rich people watch, right? That oh, all yeah. these things are basically just people getting to watch rich people living their lives because you yourself do not have all this food to cook and show off. You oh, yourself do not have all these things that you can you know, share with the world. So you turn on a show and now you get to see a real person who has those things that you don't have and you can spend your time watching them use those things without any real analysis um, about okay. what you're doing, that you're using this device to enter into a class, this exercise that you truly can't participate in besides commenting, besides liking and looking at the next video. Um, and I see a ton of poor people engage in this uh, process and like look at this video look at that and i'm gonna have this well this is what we're building towards and i'm like how how are you building towards it just by watching like really you're just taking time away from what you were doing before tiktok uh -huh. came but uh -huh. Uh -huh. that's the uh you call it uh a, a class voyeurism mm -hmm. yeah and I'm wondering how much, like, they did a couple studies uh, on, like, Facebook and social media and how, like, the toxic positivity was actually detrimental to people's mental health. Um, so I'm wondering how much that that play of watching other people who have those things you, you want and that passive, you're receiving it, somebody else's memories, basically, Every time you watch somebody doing something with their stuff, you're getting their memories. You're not getting your own memories of that. So does that drive more of a depression around your certain circumstance? Is it a self? I think so. I think prophecy? that you know, I especially think that if you look at something, uh, the term parasociality and parasocial, like what parasocial. this idea of us, it's like kind of a concept that people are creating inappropriate social relationships with each other online based off of like kind of inappropriate like interpersonal realities right like uh -huh. hey i'm on this facebook with this person and they're my best friend and together we're going to take over the world we have all these plans meanwhile that you've never met that person in real life right. you've never actually you don't know anything really about them except for what they're telling you on the internet right or uh, people right. who believe that their relationships or they have a special relationship with a celebrity I think we're seeing it a lot right now with a bit of a this quote unquote feud between Selena Gomez um, and uh, Haley Bieber. Mm. <laughs> there's, there's this kind of this quote unquote feud that's basically been self created by their followers. Like they have no interest in it. They themselves are, you know, I kind of want to reach out to them that's both and be like, listen leverage this shit you guys should start doing videos together and do it for charity because you're going to get a million views anytime okay. you pop up together you know you guys right. could probably in you know lupus or something important um like, <laughs> just, just, like the selena haley challenge we get right? in the fight right yeah and like get people you know because they're so invested in this false narrative um, and I think it's especially interesting because Haley Bieber is often identified as a white woman when her mother is a Brazilian woman and her family, Haley Bieber's mother's family is this really famous family in Brazil for music. 
like really iconic type yeah. of thing going on where her grandfather is this huge musician in Brazilian music, huge, important person to Latino culture. So you have this woman who's really, I feel, kind of not identified as having ancestry of color who's also being pitted against a person who has ancestry of color. And then the whole thing is being done by white people, for the most part. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's... That is one of the most frustrating things to me about uh, being a white person in general and then also um, being a mulatto white person. Uh, there is an assumption because I am white that I agree with white politics. There mm -hmm. is also an assumption that I am white, which is funny. Because <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so fucking pale. Like you don't get more pale than this, but I, I'm, I'm actually mixed race. Right. I'm all American and I'm all American all the time, you know, like. And what's your ancestry background? Okay, so I have traced my ancestry to what I said, Duarte Mozingo was my um, indentured servant uh, grandfather, my 10th great grandfather came mm -hmm. through. Um, through the Portuguese into America, into Virginia colony before it was, um, had taken off at all. And uh, I think I was telling you about him. Uh, no, it was his son. His son was the one that uh, sued for his freedom um, after his master had died. And so he was the first black uh, indentured servant in Virginia to get freedom um, and then he married a Scottish indentured servant and they gave line to my, my people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one side. And man, I'm pretty sure like based on how pale I am, they had to have been pretty pale after that second generation. But it doesn't change well, the fact. There's, there's a very strong, like, you know, you, you're pale, but you're pale in a certain specific way that black, some black people are familiar with. And like you said, it very specific to the mulatto, uh, experience a quadroon experience in the sense that you're very beige right mm -hmm. and so there if you look at like a, a traditional kind of white uh, irish a white german white italian they have a lot more red in their face than you mm -hmm. have to mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. they have a lot yeah. more like when they like when they go places they're they're pink if that makes sense they're mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm not just white so sometimes when you see somebody who's a white person who's very pale and very beige it's actually to me a sign that they have ancestry of another color you know five mm -hmm. ten generations mm -hmm. back that they may not be aware of mm -hmm. um, and i've actually I've, it's about i've done it with about well i guess it's about three people now i met a guy at a party a couple years ago and i was like you definitely are black though and he was like no i'm not and i was like you're so fucking black <laughs> He's like, Aww. what are you talking about? And he had a very almost similar, just a slightly, just a little bit more color than you. But his hair was also a bit curlier than yours as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it was close cropped. And he had always said, yeah, I can't grow it out because if I do, it becomes like this huge afro. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. It's like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, yeah, you're black, man. Like, you know. <laughs> But for a lot of people like that, they operate in their, the world operates around them as a white person. Right. 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 Like I so was they, raised white. They don't have any concept of, you know, and I, I think that that's also maybe possibly kind of similar to Meghan Markle's experience where uh -huh. she has said that she didn't really see herself as a black woman until she joined the royal family. 
you know, she wasn't oh God, super. Right? She wasn't super engaged in that, you know, mm-hmm. um, in in any type of race anything you know and i was aware of her as a person of color who's an actress but i kind of saw her as one of the black actresses who was less engaged with blackness Uh right compared to uh like carrie washington from scandal or other people Uh 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 Um, and even in the show she was on with suits it really didn't come up too much um, besides the fact that her dad was a darker skinned black person, he would kind of bring it up as far as you've got this privilege and, you know, it kind of, they were kind of hinting at it on the show, but for the most part, she was totally operating outside of race, um, with her character and with, you know, who she was. And then she pops up and says, Hey, I'm, you know, experiencing racism. And I think there was a lot of black people, including myself, who were a little bit, like, are you sure? <laughs> like, you know, Chris, Chris Rock. Chris Rock just did a whole bit on it, uh, and so I, it's probably going to become like the kind of standard thing because a lot of black people have been internally saying this, but not really externally. Kind of like, mm-hmm. well, what are you talking about? Like, who cares what the color is? Of course, we all want to know what the color is. Everybody black is like that. We like, what do you think they're going to look like? You know, so it's 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 been a little tricky for me because I've been very like. Um, I want to be supportive of anybody who feels that they're experiencing racial difficulty, Uh but is it really happening for somebody or are they experiencing difficulty because they are engaging with a very famous family that has a huge amount of followers and huge amount of trolls and huge amount of people who are in discussion about them, Uh right? Um, And for the most part, I haven't really seen a lot of race stuff you know, when it comes to the, the British in general, the, I, I, it's a very like, we're not going to talk about that. We're not talking about all the empire work we did. We're not talking about partitioning India, you know, like <laughs> there's some whole, there's like a whole bunch of stuff that they did. And I'm like, why isn't anybody talking about that? You yeah. want reparations, go to the empire. Like, oh. right, right, right. Well, no, like, oh, so, okay. So, I mean, that brings it in. Like I actually found I found Duarte and Edward Mozingo while I was doing ancestry work, um, looking at my Scottish and Irish ancestors, because as pale as I am, we know I got Scottish and Irish. But one of the things I learned was I don't, I have Scottish, Irish, like the whole, all of the kilts, all of the island. It doesn't matter which, which I've got it. I'm I'm one of those insular Celts that come over to America at the beginning. but what I learned was every one of those parts of me, of my family, lost their language, just like Duarte and Edward's families lost their languages. So there is no, there's no part of my history where my familial language hasn't been lost to me, where I'm not, like, this English that I speak is a conqueror's mm-hmm. language. It is the empire's language. It is not my family's language. And that like, until I started learning languages, I never realized quite how important it is for black people to have their own language, to have mm-hmm. um, a whole way to communicate that is a cultural thing because we're building a new culture now and it has to have its own language to be its own entity, if that makes any sense. No, I think it does. I think it does. Speaking of which, let's end this and take a small break. 
and then we'll come back and we'll we'll do another round so that way we'll have two recordings (laughs) cool does that take a second so i'm going to um we're going to close it down for mo faith episode one and we're going to pick it up in just a second